Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Literally, where the books speak for themselves. I'm Liz. And I'm Holly. And let's jump straight in um, to the bookish buzz. So the first piece of news from the book world uh, for this month is The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes has been, uh, we've had it officially announced that there is going to be a big screen release of this in 2023, which is very exciting. Um, Obviously, for those of you who don't know or don't recognise it, it is the prequel to the Hunger Games trilogy um, by Suzanne Collins. And I read it about two, three years ago. I really, I really enjoyed it. I don't know about you, Holly. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I thought it did a really good job of kind of like establishing Cornelius Snow and his character. Um, Definitely. You know, it. I don't think um, it was as good as like the obviously as the Hunger Games, and there were yeah. still some things where I was like, Meh, but it was really good, and I will for sure be seeing this movie. Definitely, and I really liked the kind of nods to the to, to the trilogy as well in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also um, in the same sort of news we've had our first casting news from that and that is for the main character so the president snow um when he's a, a youngster and it's it is being played by tom Blythe, uh, who you might know from a show called gilded age um so yeah that's all we know so far we haven't had any other any other casting news yet but hopefully watch this space um, so Holly, what else have we got going on in bookish news? So not only do we have that coming out as a big screen release, but we have a TD app adaptation coming out for V.E. Schwab's First Kill. Um, it's going to be released on Netflix next month um, on June 10th. Now I will say this, I am not familiar with this book. Um, I've only read one J.E. Schwab book and that was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Uh, are you familiar with this book? No, I haven't. This literally, as soon as I heard this news, um, I I looked it up because I have never heard of it. I think it's to do with vampires, oh. um, which is going to be quite interesting. I haven't. I've I've read two of hers so far. I've read um, that obviously the Invisible Life of Addie Lurie because we buddy read it, and I've also read um, one called Vicious, which is part of the villain series. I believe it is. I do have one other one. Um, and she has that the, new yeah, one out, that uh, Gallant, is that what yeah, it's called? Yeah, Gallant, I've got that on my TBR. Yeah, that's on my <laughs> TBR too. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, this is completely random, but the thing I like about Gallant is the way the book looks. It, it does, it's like, it's like more of a square book and it's just like, it's, yeah. it's different. And like, you know, cause I flipped through it when I've been to the bookstore with, debating which books to buy when. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of cool because it's not written all of it's not written in like paragraph form and narration so yeah um, so that's going to be definitely kind of an interesting I'm looking forward book. to reading that and Me I also too. I managed to get a really nice um sprayed stenciled edges um version that's so that's quite exciting I managed to get it in more stones I think it's literally like the last the last um copy of it so I was like I, I have to get it see okay <laughs> I can't not get it so this is this is my issue with Waterstones so Waterstones and Barnes and Noble, I believe, are owned by the same like parent company. I, um, I think so. I think that's I think that's what I, I've read. But Waterstones is pretty much like you know it's 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 in England. Barnes and Noble is kind of like over here yeah. in, in the U.S. Um, 
But you guys at Waterstones get all these cool, like, sprayed edges and, and whatever. And we don't have that in our Barnes & Nobles when I walk in. At least in the Barnes & Nobles that are around me. Now, maybe if I go to, like, New York City Barnes & Noble or Los Angeles Barnes & Nobles. Um, but, yeah. yeah. I just live in a small town and, and my Waterstones in a small town. <laughs> okay, you're not helping. <laughs> that doesn't help at all. <laughs> Oh, no, the day that I got Gallant, it was a really close call because they also had a really nice edition of Catriona Ward's new book, Sundial. Oh. And they had, that one had orange sprayed edges. I just bought um, Sundial, <laughs> and it doesn't have pretty sprayed edges. And literally, that was like one of the most recent books I bought. I'm going to yeah, go. Now, is, when I we're ha- done, I'm going to cry myself to sleep. <laughs> Yeah, I had to choose that. Sadly, only one that that month. And I was like, oh, well, it's got to be going. All right. I really, I really enjoyed. Well, now we have until June 10th to read First Kill. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to happen. I think it's, it's a big series as well. I don't know how big it is. Um, oh. But yeah, I think it's a, a few books in the series. They need. To, I would love to see Adi Leroy in a film. I would too. Like again, that's another book that was kind of like. Uh, it like it had its peaks yeah. and valleys for me when I read it, and um, I wasn't gushing over it when I was done. But I almost think that seeing it like as a you know adaptation might make mm. me appreciate it a little bit more because it was I a really would, yeah. yeah it was a great concept and a great story. I just there were just pieces of yeah. it that dragged and but it would be really cool as an adaptation. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, so, we've obviously been talking a lot about the books being banned over in America and all of the kind of drama surrounding that. And now, the readers are rebelling. Yes! I love this. <laughs> Go <laughs> Texas! Like, Everything is bigger in Texas. Exactly. So, seven residents of um, Lane County, mm-hmm. yeah. Lane County in Texas, um, are suing country officials county officials um, for removing books from their local libraries so they're stating that their first and their 14th amendment rights were violated so it's about time that we stuck up for our rights and went no you can't ban these books anymore you can't do this yeah and it's 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 so ridiculous because like and this is the first time that i have heard so it doesn't mean that it's the first time it's ever happened but this is the first time i Mm. think it's it's kind of really being publicized that people are suing they're suing their their city and local governments because they're like you have no right to tell me what i can and can't read and obviously yeah and obviously the first amendment deals with the freedom of speech the freedom of press um you know and, and that's the whole basis of the first amendment is being able to write what you want to write like obviously there's stipulations about defamation of character and slander and things like that to protect people from lies but it's a fictional story like most of these books that are being banned are fiction and exactly you the authors have the right to write them readers have the right to read them you know what you do in your own house we've had this conversation so many times on this show like (laughs) it's your business but you know the first amendment makes sense so this is the first time that um liz when you because you were the one who found this um yeah that something mentioned the 14th amendment and 
I will be the first to admit that I don't know what all of the amendments are by the off the top of my head. Um, I, I know oh, the first. American. <laughs> I, I passed my U.S. history classes. Um, but the, the 14th Amendment, it um, it does state that it, um, so I, I pulled it up so I'd get the wording right. Um, it says, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law or deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal prote- protection of laws. So basically... Yeah, they're pulling these books without letting anybody have any say in it. And that's the violation of the due process piece is like, you know, if you're arrested for something, you still go to court and you still have your ability to have due process and to, you know, to fight for yourself and defend yourself. But here people are making decisions for other people without any consideration for anything. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, this this new story I found um, came out the end of April, so just after our last our last podcast. So it'd be interesting to to follow this and see what happens and see if if they basically if they get anywhere um, because it was only filed. Yeah, it was filed on I think about the twenty sixth or twenty fifth of April. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, we might hear something soon. Yeah. Um, we'll have to keep, yeah watch this space. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so and like I said. Texas, Texas is going to be the state that does it because they uh, they are very proud of of their their rights for sure, um, yeah. and they're probably one of the more louder vocal states <laughs> as far as their rights to do things. So, yeah. like I said, everything's no, it, bigger it, in it's Texas. Good that somebody's finally, yeah, it's good as people are finally kind of fighting back and going, well, no, you can't keep doing this. This isn't right. That you're just banning these books and stopping us reading these books because you deem it wrong and what i am really eager to kind of watch come out of this is whatever the final result is like and and it's going to be hard for someone to say no these books can remain removed um, from a public library um so i'm gonna hope that our legal system you know comes through and puts these books back on the shelves and these citizens win this lawsuit because if that's the case it is going to open up a pandora's box across the country and i think a lot of people are sitting watching to see what happens before you know they take action but i think if it's going to be interesting to see what the outcome and then the and then the you know what happens as a result so definitely something to keep watching for sure so Uh, what else is going on so the last big piece of news is this year's 2022 Pulitzer Prize winners were announced at the beginning of the month on May 9th so um, of course with the Pulitzer Prize um, you know there's a Pulitzer Prize for like almost everything Um, but when it comes to literature there's literature there's drama there's poetry and music history biography all of these things Um, Mm -hmm. now Unfortunately, I haven't heard of any of the winners. Like when it comes to like that aspect of of literature. So the and I don't even know if I'm going to be able to pronounce the name of the fiction book correctly. Liz and I kind of were, were looking through the list before we started recording, and we're like, really? 
Um, so I'm going to do my best. I can tell you that the author is Joshua Cohen. That's that's easy to say. Um, <clears throat> so Joshua, I know that we have such a mass group of listeners that you're probably listening to our podcast. Um, <laughs> but I apologize if you're listening and I slaughter the name of your book. Um, but it's the Netanyahas. Netanyahas? Does that... That sounds okay. Um, which it that's fine, Okay, <laughs> an account of a minor and ultimately even negligible episode in the history of a very famous family. That is the entirety of the of the book name. Um, so I tried my best, but it it apparently is about a um, a Jewish American, like Jewish American, the ambiguities of a Jewish American experience presenting ideas and disputes as volatile as its tightly wound plot. Um, so that's kind of right off the Pulitzer Prize um, list. So I haven't heard of it. Um, I actually haven't even heard of the finalists. There was one, Monkey Boy by Francisco Goldman was one of the finalists. Liz, have you heard of any of these? No, I mean, I did hear... Like, obviously, I, I saw on Instagram when the Pulitzer Prize winners were announced, and we were just talking about this before the show aired. The publishers um, of the winner <clears throat> is actually a company called Fitzcarraldo Editions. Now, these ones, actually, a friend of mine on Instagram, um, uh, Pearl and Her Books, she actually kind of introduced me to this series of books, um, like this publisher, because they specialise in kind of lesser-known um, authors who are more kind of emotional, intense reads. So I've read one of them so far, which was, um, it was a book called Minor Detail. And I've actually got an arc that was gifted to me by them um, called Emmanuel. But it's more, yes, yeah, very kind of very serious reads. Um, but I, I believe this one is actually more of a comedy. Hmm. Um, it's meant to be quite a, a, quite a funny one, um, I guess, in, in an intellectual way. But no, I haven't had any any of them like before this. And I mean, looking back at previous ones, I don't think I've heard of any of them um, from the past. It's it's one of those prizes where it's mainly not controversial, controversial, but more kind of abstract mm-hmm. um, titles that perhaps don't really get as big a press. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and they're kind of like very highly intellectual and kind of in a different bracket to what we tend to read. <laughs> it, it's way too intellectual for me. Um, but Way too smart. <laughs> way too smart. I am definitely not that smart. Um, but what I do like, the categories I do like, um, not that I don't like those, but that intrigue me and pull me in for the Pulitzer Prize are like the journalism awards, um, the reporting mm. awards, um, you know. Liz and I, you, we we share this. We have this this background in journalism. Um, I, you know, we have our degrees in journalism. Um, so I uh, taught high school journalism for years and would focus on things like this. Um, but they give all the the journalistic journalism awards out. And so, like this year, some of them, um, like public service, went to the Washington Post. Breaking news reporting went to the staff of the Miami Herald. Um, you know, one, like, there's always the investigative reporting one. Uh, the one that um, I thought was interesting was 
there was a photography one that focused on images from COVID um, that one pulled surprise. And then the, um, the international reporting one kind of caught my eye. And this, so this is the last one that I'll kind of mention, but it's, it went to the staff of the UNARC, UN, New York Times, notably as Matt Kahn, who is a contributing writer, um, and the little blurb for, for them receiving this award is for courageous and relentless reporting that exposed the vast civilian toll of U.S.-led airstrikes, challenging official accounts of American military engagements in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan. Um, so it was moved by the board from the public service category to uh, where it was also nominated. So this story was nominated in two areas, but it won for the international reporting. Um, so, you know, I guess the Pulitzer Prize to me is like one of those those top, like, you know, oh, yeah, you know career-capping awards, whether it's in literature or journalism or, um, you know, I guess, well, that Pulitzer Prize for writing, and then, of course, you have like the Nobel Prizes. I guess that would... That would probably cap my career as well. But there's soon we're done. Yeah, exactly. So um so yeah, yes. I mean, one thing I have to admit though, out of all the journalists out there, the ones I had the most respect for are the war journalists because they are so brave and the what the risks they take um to make sure that we are informed of what's going on. Um I mean, even like seeing some of the, the reports coming from Ukraine, some of our our British journalists and some of our American journalists. It's just amazing how far they, they go to make sure that that we all know exactly what's going on in, in the country. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, that kind of wraps up the news segment, but there's some um, bunch of changes on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, so new book by Emily Henry, Book Lovers. Uh, it's second week on the charts and it's remaining in the number one spot. I know we talked about her last book was The People We Met on Vacation. So and that was that stayed on the list for a while, too. Um, but it finally knocked Colleen Hoover and it ends with us out of that kind of top spot. <clears throat> However, it went to number three that week that book lovers came out because james patterson's new book 22 seconds came out at number two but last week colleen hoover has you know pushed james patterson back to number three and is pushing her way back up into number two so we'll see we'll see next week if colleen hoover can push her way back up to number one um but man um it ends with us is has definitely been up there for a while a long time. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so that's the top three right now. The rounding out the top five is Summer Place by Jennifer, um, is it Weiner? It's either going to be Weiner or Weiner. Okay. Um, she's read some other things. I haven't seen much about this book, but I do know that she's read some other things. Um, okay. But uh, uh, Liz, what's number five? Surprise! <laughs> yeah, it's back. Uh, Where the God Does Sing, of course, by Delia Owens, which we're not surprised about because, I mean, the film is coming out next month, which we are so excited about. Um, so it's obviously getting a lot of press right now. Um, so it's not really surprising, but it is really good to see. It's been on the charts now for 100 and, 160 weeks. That's 160 crazy. weeks. How many years is that, Holly? <laughs> 
Um, okay, so that would be, it's over, uh, it's over three years, because there's 52 weeks in a year. <laughs> See, I can be taught. I am super smart. I might win a Nobel Prize for math. <laughs> Crazy three years on the charts is just, and of course, if we're going over to young I still need. I've I've watched like the one part of like the first episode of that. I haven't like read much. I haven't watched. I haven't watched any of it. Yeah, I haven't watched it. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Liz. To watch that in vain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, true. Um, and and then um, just to to wind up this this little segment here, um, a section we haven't really talked about was children's middle grades hardback category for the New York Times bestselling list but I brought it on because this book has been on for 344 weeks um so again I don't do math that Nobel Prize I was just joking about I'm not ever going to get that one but pretty sure that this is this would be over six years um that this book has been on this list and Liz what's the book it is Wonder by R.J. Uh, Palacio. I think Palacio. Yeah. I we're talking about this. We both read it quite a while ago, and it's such a lovely book. It's just like a really nice little. Um, I want to say like a like a warming read. Um, at the same time, it's very emotional, and it does raise some really important kind of issues. But it's just such a lovely lovely book. And you know, I never thought of it as a children's middle grade book. But then again, I mean, that's American standard. So what what kind of age is middle grade? Just have interest. Uh, middle grade typically is about um, 11 to 13. Um, really? Yeah. My kids both read this book in elementary school. So they both read this in fourth grade. So they were 9, 10 when they read this wow. book. Um, but they both loved it i think for my son who's a little bit more emotional than my daughter um and connecting with um with kids with disabilities and things like that like this this book hit my son like he just he loved it and when the when the movie came out like as soon as he heard it was coming out like he begged to see it and it didn't come out until we were probably in um uh when he was probably in middle school so Oh, you know, the film was just as good. The film was so well done. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, that kind of wraps up this segment. So we do have a guest author, S.C. Jensen, joining us today. So we're going to actually shift some things around, if that's okay with you, Liz, um, because we haven't actually gotten to the second segment because we spent too much time trying to figure out difference between the first amendment and the 14th amendment um but we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to jump into our uh, author interview um with sc jensen so give us one second and we'll be right back all right so we're back and i think that um 
Sarah's technical issues are resolved. She's given the thumbs up. Um, so we are so excited to um, welcome our guest, our guest author with us today. Um, so I'll do a quick introduction. S.C. Jensen is a Canadian fiction writer and sci-fi enthusiast who is dedicated to reviving the cyberpunk genre for the 21st century. She is the author of the cyber noir detective series Hollow City, Case Files, the cyberpunk adventure series Bubbles in Space, and the post-apocalyptic dystopian series Under City. So, Sarah, thank you for joining us. Welcome to our show. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, I will say that um, I did read Bubbles in Space, Tropical Punch, and fell in love with Bubbles Marlowe. Um, so I am super excited to talk to you about this. Um, so uh, as we get started, um, if you just want to kind of just tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, and why you write. Yeah, for sure. I'm um- I mean, I've been writing my whole life, I guess, and the uh, the first series that I started with is uh, is actually um, the Undercity series that I'm re-releasing this year. But um, but Bubbles in Space was kind of the the series that um, launched my my career as an indie author. Um, because like my Undercity was originally uh, like traditionally published by a small um, a small indie publisher and um, and I didn't really have a lot of control and that kind of thing in in the the publishing end of things so it was kind of it had kind of stagnated and um, and Bubbles in Space was the the series that I came up with and I was like this is the one that I uh, like I feel like I can sell and this is me and um, so that's kind of what brought me to uh, indie publishing and um, and yeah uh, it, it kind of came out of my love of uh, classic noir detective stories and science fiction and cyberpunk is kind of a natural blend of those two and I really thought that um, we needed a series that had like a strong female protagonist uh, that kind of flipped the femme fatale trope on its head. And uh, and I played with some of the other tropes in detective fiction, like having a sober detective instead of an alcoholic detective and all that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> so um, when you kind of come to the writing of these novels, what is your, your writing process? Do you plan a lot or are you more a kind of writing by the CT pants kind of character? I started off as like a hundred percent pantser. I just wrote and and uh, and then I found like after my first professional uh, development edit and the massive amounts of revisions and and um, and that kind of thing that I ended up having to do in order to have a cohesive novel, um, I decided that I that I would rather do a little bit of planning in advance and, and avoid that. So I spent a lot of years studying structure and kind of, I became um, more of a, an outliner. So I have like a um, kind of like a, uh, what do you call it? Like if you've heard of save the cat, there's like novel structure kind of mm. beats um, that you have to hit. And I kind of know where in the book I want to hit certain key scenes. And then um and then I kind of use that as a roadmap um, and then just free write in between each point. And if I get stuck, then I'll kind of go and do a, a chapter by chapter 
outline, but I don't hold myself really, um, really strictly to them. So, uh, but it's just kind of, I always have an idea of where I'm going. Um, and I find that that gives me enough, enough structure to stay on, uh, on the right path. And it's open enough that I'm not like inhibiting my creativity and a lot of the fun stuff that pops into, um, my my stories kind of comes to me on the fly so i don't want to inhibit that too much <laughs> but i do need a little bit of direction <laughs> <laughs> so when you said that you like you studied like when after that first like big revision what did you do like did you just do research did you take like classes and webinars like how did you how did you prepare um, yourself for deciding what was going to work for you i so the first thing that I did, the, the first um, developmental editor that I worked with um, was a uh, like a science fiction editor from a fairly big company in the UK. And he pointed me um, in the direction of um, some authors that he thought that like my style was similar to, but I really needed to kind of like tighten up my prose. And one of the authors that he pointed me to was Raymond Chandler, um, who wrote these old uh, noir detective novels in the 1930s and 1940s and um so i started to study um the works of these these um like pulp detective authors um because they have this really kind of like tight um choppy kind of um like very bare bones prose but then um, these like moments of like this really specific imagery and that's something that I was kind of like working towards but hadn't quite gotten to on my own yet so first I started studying like the the writers that I wanted to emulate and then I also I, I have read a lot of um, a lot of craft books and I used to belong I don't do this as much anymore but when I was um, really trying to like improve my my prose. Um, I worked in a lot of like writing online writing groups and workshops, and I participated in a lot of um, short story competitions. Um, and I worked on short stories, especially when my kids were were babies. I didn't have time to tackle novel length projects, so I really focused on like flash fiction, um, which helped me immensely uh, when it come came to like starting to write novels again. Um, being able to write really concise scenes um helped me a lot so awesome brilliant um so i mean obviously you've got the whole noir and the um sci-fi cyberpunk but what is it that made you kind of think about cyberpunk what preempted that idea to bring back cyberpunk well i i realized that you know I, i kind of came at cyberpunk sideways I didn't um like I had seen Blade Runner and I've read like some of the proto cyberpunk stuff like um Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and 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 I've read and enjoyed a lot of that and I like um like Larry Niven's got uh some kind of like noir detective sci-fi um with his uh Gil Yarm um like the Flatlander short stories and and I've always really liked this intersection of, of detection, detective fiction and science fiction, but I didn't label it in my head as cyberpunk until um, I started researching, like after I'd already started writing Bubbles in Space, I was looking into it and trying to find like comparative titles. Um, and then I realized there's this entire genre, <laughs> basically <laughs> noir science fiction, um, that is cyberpunk. And, and I'd already read a lot of the works and just not really realized that that's what it was. Um, so, but what 
but what I really like about cyberpunk is that um, it's it looks at I, I feel it's one of the most rel- like most relevant um, sci-fi genres there are there is right now just because it's really taking a critical look at our relationship with technology um, and like you know it started in the 80s when you know personal computers and and that kind of thing were just kind of becoming a thing and everyone was just rushing head first into like this new technological era and they were everyone was so excited and and nobody was really um, stopping to say like, whoa, like what's this going to do to society and what's this going to do um, to um, our interpersonal relationships? And and um, and it was cyberpunk authors, uh, like notably William Gibson and um, some of those um, first cyberpunk authors who really started saying like, if we push this to the extreme, um, you know, where is that going to take us? How did like this? And they, so they really started looking at ways that like, um, corporations could control vast groups of the population based on their dependence um, to technology. They looked at like what, like income disparity, like how the wealthy are going to progressively get more and more and more wealthy, and the poor will be um, further and further removed from um, from all of the technology that's like changing people's lives and you know making people live longer and curing disease and that kind of thing. And, and it looked at, um, you know, both ways that, um, that technology can be used against people. Um, and also ways that like people who are, um, oppressed might be able to use technology in order to fight back against oppressive governments or like corporate control and that kind of thing. So, um, it, and I think that that's, I think that that's really, really important for us to to look at today because we've a lot of what what uh, the cyberpunk authors in the '80s were worried about is is reality now, and it's it's kind of like this mundane version of cyberpunk where we don't have all the neon lights and holograms and this flashy, exciting future. But the um, the ways that technology has become really invasive in our lives is even worse than what they were predicting. So. Um, so I think that we need to re-examine these questions, like the thematic questions of how technology is affecting our lives and our relationships with people and our governing systems. Um, but with, you know, the reflection of, of um, how it actually is today instead of this kind of retro futurist look back at, from the 80s. So um, that's one of the things that I think indie authors are doing um, really well right now. There's a lot of uh, indie cyberpunk authors who are kind of like looking at cyberpunk in a new way. And uh, that's something that I'm really like a, a part of this, um, the indie com- community. Um, and it's really exciting to see all the different ways that people are kind of exploring these themes in a new, in a fresh way for the 21st century. My phone is beeping at <laughs> Speaking of technology. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it's interesting that you, you have such such a you know a great view i mean you worded that beautifully as far as like technology and how it's evolved and everything um and like and as you talk like i'm linking it back to bubbles bubbles yeah. is, is is she's a very fun character she's very fun and and it's great because she's very different she kind of is outside of the box which is in in her world not the best type of personality to have she kind of puts a target on her back um 
but she views things and interacts with all of the technology and her environment very differently. She has a very different view. So, um, but she's very sassy and snarky and just, you know, just out there. I mean, her name is Bubbles, I mean, after all. <laughs> so she kind of has to be out there. So how, how did you... How did you create her? Like, what what was your motives behind creating, um, taking what you just said and, and the severity of, like, what can happen with technology is getting out of control. You took that and, and spun it into this very kind of creative, fun character. But at the same time, she, yes, she's all those things, but she, nobody else perceives her that way. Yeah, well, so Bubbles was kind of... Like I tend to write these really dark, gritty worlds, and like, and and Bubbles really became who she was out of uh, like a necessity for balance, right? Like, there we needed. I needed to have like a person who was kind of outside of that world um, to interpret it in a way that like that we would be able to kind of um, understand because Bubbles is kind of she's never been. She's never had enough money to participate in like these high-end technologies that everybody else has. She doesn't know how to how to use um, a lot of the things that you know other people use, and she's she's this outsider um, in this really high-tech world. And um, she and she has some support of people who are on the inside, but she's always kind of off balance. And um, but where she but her strength, I think, lies in. Um, in her connections to people, which is something that I wanted to, to emphasize, like where like, you know, the, the real, um, and like this gets, you, you've read Tropical Punch, but like in the, in the whole, um, the whole story arc, her relationships with her friends and the people that become a part of her team, um, are really integral to her survival in this, Mm. in this world. And, um, and I really wanted to bring back kind of that human element and bring it down to, um, like these individual human kind of interactions. And um, because uh, that's something that I think is missing from a lot of, like a lot of cyberpunk and a lot of science fiction gets very focused on the technology and the world building and, and the human element is kind of secondary to that. And I, and I definitely wanted this to be a book about people and specifically a book about bubbles and her relationships um, and, um, and her journey in like in being sober that that was a big um, part of the of the story arc as well because um, well I, because I like I quit drinking um, about four and a half years ago and and a lot of the things that bubbles deals with are things that I dealt with when when I first quit quit drinking and um, and the you know the fact that she's still kind of fun and sassy and you know gets into trouble and and lives her life um, while not drinking like that was something that was important to me as well because there's always there's this fear that you're going to lose yourself and you know you're not going to have any friends or you're going to be this like boring homebody if you like you know stop partying and um, those were all things that I kind of um that I had to work through and and I wanted to show other people that you know you can still be like this complete person without um without alcohol and you can still be an interesting person without alcohol and um you know somebody who doesn't have a problem with alcohol um it probably never questions that but people who do struggle with alcohol it's like um you feel like you're losing a part of yourself when when you have when you have to stop and um and so for me this is really an exploration of like becoming a whole person again after um overcoming addiction and um 
and like learning how to like learning new coping mechanisms for for stress and for all kinds of things when uh, when you don't have that to, to fall back on and um so like a lot of her weird quirky personality <laughs> things are you know aspects of myself and and my own personality and my own sense of humor and i kind of that um a little bit self-deprecating, a little bit bleak sense of humor is really like, that's <laughs> my voice. Like, Bubbles is me. <laughs> As a, she's cooler than I am. I think. <laughs> personality is very much my own. So, so would you have, would you have a pig AI pet? Is that what you would have too? Oh, I think I would. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel like a pig is like, I don't know, Hammett, I don't even know where Hammett came from other than like, the fact that, like, you know, DeShiel Hammett is another one of the authors that uh, that I um, have drawn a lot of inspiration from. And the name Hammett immediately made me think of a pig. And then I was like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, who's going to have who's going to have this like little cartoon pig? And then I was like, actually, no, that really, that works. <laughs> that actually feels right. It did so, work. Hammett was one of my favorite characters. <laughs> so, um. Usually, we, we ask this kind of at the beginning, um, but we overrun a little bit today on the news. Um, blaming Holly. We're blaming Holly. <laughs> I, 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 I um, told her in advance that we like to talk, so we tend to get off our yeah. timing. Always off on tangents. Always <laughs> off on timing. Um, so, what are you currently reading at the moment? currently reading um i am actually reading a book um called replica which is another uh indie author um i'm trying to remember what his author name is because i i i know his real name uh, <laughs> hugo bernard i believe is the author name um and and it's absolutely phenomenal if if you guys uh have a chance to to look at it and are interested in like um the, it's a very like matrixy kind of like VR, uh, like augmented reality and virtual reality, and people living within these like online computer systems and not even knowing that they're a part of it. And it's it's very cool. Um, and another one that I'm working on right now is the second book in Anna Mossacat's um, Behind Blue Eyes. Um, it's a trilogy now, but I think she has like six or seven books planned. Um, and that's like she's got this super cool cyborg assassin uh character named Nephilim and um she yeah it's like a like super thriller like action-packed uh um very much like um kind of like ghost in the shell but like amped up mm. to 11 um and so she's another she's another cyberpunk author that uh that I love and that I work with a lot and um and yeah both of them are indies and totally different directions and different takes on the cyberpunk themes and both really doing cool things right now. So those are my current reads. And I have a, I always try to read some traditionally published stuff at the same time. And I'm working on a cyberpunk anthology that's just called, I think, Cyberpunk, which is not going to help you guys find it at all. And I can't remember the name. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the, the editor at this time. But uh, anyways, it's a short story collection from uh, traditionally okay. published cyberpunk authors. So. Well, on the, on the same kind of topic, looking back over your entire life of being a reader, what are, what's your favorite book or what are a couple of your oh, all time favorites? So I always come back to like Margaret Atwood has always been one of my favorite authors. 
Um, but her okay. Oryx and Crake, she's got a Mad Adam trilogy, and Oryx and Crake was the first one, and I think it came out in 2002 or 2003. Um, and that was the book that really, like, made me see the potential um, of science fiction to speak, like, in a real way to, like, real-world issues. Um, because one of the things that Margaret Atwood does really well, I think, is she, like, she researches today's science like kind of she's always she's always on top of like everything like she knows all these um current research uh projects and that kind of thing and then she just takes it this far forward and then says like you know how is this going to affect the world and so in in oryx and craig she's got all these little um little things that seem they seem really bizarre like she's got these um I think they're called pigoons and it's like these these pigs that are being used to grow human organs for for organ harvesting oh, wow. um, and it's based on research that we're doing now to use pigs because pigs are very close physiologically I guess to humans and our and um, like we use pig hearts for our you know heart transplants mm-hmm. and that kind of thing somebody actually just had like a complete pig heart transplant I believe um, but um the so she takes research that's going on now and then just pushes it a little bit further and then extrapolates from there to see how the rest of the world would kind of shape around these little these little what ifs and she's um i th- i think she's actually the one who popularized the the term speculative fiction um over science fiction she's always said the what she's she's not writing science fiction she's writing speculative fiction because she's you know asking a question and then seeing speculating about how the world would change and um and that series um that series has really like i i don't know if it comes through in my writing but i like i i think about it a lot as i'm writing and the way that she does things so i think that's one of the series that has most influenced me for sure and then then another one was uh neil gaiman um his neverwhere book Oh, that's such a Oh, I love it. And I just love, he's so irreverent. And I just like, I love the way that he just does, he just, he mixes fantastical elements into the real world. And, uh, and yeah. just like the way that he does it, you don't even question it. You're like, well, this is what's happening <laughs> now. And, and I just, I love, I love that so much. Like, because so, I like, yeah. there's so many authors do something in, in a way where like you're reading it and you're like, eh, that doesn't really seem like possible. And as soon as you do that, you're out of the story and, and yeah. it all falls apart. And he, the way that he just throws things in there and like <laughs> completely, they're completely off the wall and you're just like, okay, yeah, that, that works for me. <laughs> so, so he's another one that, that uh, has influenced me a lot. And um, the short stories of uh, now, uh, of Murakami, Haruki Murakami, uh, he is another author that I that I really love. It and it's a, he's kind of like this weird blend of like what what I love about Margaret Atwood and also what I love about Neil Gaiman. Um, and it's it, it, it's this kind of like slipstream. Um, that's a very niche kind of word for for the same kind of thing where you just like you have very realistic fiction with these little bits of like completely unreal fantastical whimsical things that happen and you just you just go go along with it and and I feel that he does that really well as as well and um it's something that I like I do that a lot in my short fiction but I haven't I haven't attempted novels in that style yet but maybe in the future (laughs) (laughs) oh man you've chosen some brilliant authors there I mean Neil Gaiman is 
like one of my favorite authors and Margaret Atwood I mean if you look at Margaret Atwood for example her Handmaid's Tale Mm -hmm. at first you're like that's never gonna happen that's that's not like that's not true but then the whole thing in America happens with the, the potential rights being taken away from away from women about, about abortion. You're thinking, Gilead? Much? <laughs> no, it's not that far away. I know. And like, I mean, I'm I'm Canadian, and um, for us, Handmaid's Tale is required reading. And I can't remember if it's grade eleven or twelve. Oh, really? Um, wow. It's part of our it's because it's part of our Canadian lit. Uh, yeah content right and and a lot of people i loved it of course um and i and i loved everything that i've read of hers but uh, and that was actually probably the very first margaret atwood that i read um would have been introduced in, in high school there um but the but yeah like you read it and it's like well you know that's that's scary and it's horrifying but it seems so far away and then you know 30 years later you're like hmm <laughs> <laughs> it is crazy. It really is crazy. I mean, that definitely gives speculative fiction a whole other meaning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she, she, like, if you read some of her interviews and, and that kind of thing about, like, why she um, wrote Handmaid's Tale the way that she did, you'll see, like, she researched, she researched religious cults and she researched some of the things that were already starting to brew, like, back in the 80s. And, um, and then you know extrapolated like what if this happened and and she's very she's so she's just so i don't know just so observant and the, the some of the things that she um predicts uh they they can be very very close to how it actually pans out i think she's very um visionary in a way definitely um so if you could have one wish and if you could collaborate with any writer living or dead um, who would it be? Oh, well, I certainly wouldn't turn down an opportunity to work with Margaret Atwood. <laughs> yeah, definitely. She's, I think she's definitely my closest inspiration and the author that I would most like to grow up to be like when I hope I'm as cool as her when I'm 80. <laughs> I read interviews with her sometimes and just the way she's just so like, so powerful and like intimidating. <laughs> Yeah, I think she's so cool. <laughs> well, I so you mentioned briefly that you you weren't um, you didn't have a lot of time when your kids were were babies. Um, are your mm-hmm. kids avid readers, or and have they read oh, either your Undercity series or Bubbles in Space? Yeah. And what do well, they think? They're not quite old. So I have uh, my twins are going to be nine this year, okay. and then my youngest is seven and a half. So they're not quite not old enough quite yet. there they yet. Are, they are uh, very avid readers, um, and like I spend more money on books than uh, any normal person should. <laughs> but it's one of those things that I just can't say no to. Like mm-hmm. if they if they're into yeah. a into a book, or I'm like, well, I'll buy the whole series and just read it all. <laughs> and I, and I, I don't care. I just I have no limits when it comes to books, video games, and that kind of thing. I'm a little bit more like, oh, we probably don't need to do that. But yeah, if they're and I think that's something they learned when they were very young like I'm not uh I'm not good at like playing games with kids and that kind of thing but if you if a kid brings me a book then we can sit on the couch and read for hours and I think they really realize that like books are the best way to spend time <laughs> with mom <laughs> so uh, so I think that's probably where it came from but yeah they're all very uh very interested in books and they all have their own um very separate interests it's very cool to see them all 
develop the way that uh the way that they have i've got one daughter who's like very into dragons and um my son is very interested he's very interested in in uh science fiction and mm. and scary stories he likes horror <laughs> like those early horror books goosebumps and that kind of thing he likes to be scared a little bit until it's too close to bedtime and mm-hmm. then he wishes that he didn't read whatever he <laughs> and, and then my um my youngest daughter kind of picks she's all over the place she'll pick all, out all kinds of different things but she really likes uh like fairy tales and uh, uh particularly fairy tales that kind of like twist the the, the originals she mm. doesn't like princesses and that kind of thing she likes girls that are like you know tough and uh things that like kind of flip the, all those um stereotypes about girls on their on their heads and that kind of thing so that's awesome that's- yeah, that's really nice. Um, so, okay, million dollar question time. What are you working on now? What's what's next for you? Um, so next, I have so I have my third book in my Undercity series is coming out uh, in a couple of months, and I plan to do um, at least another five novellas for the Hollow City case files. Um, and um, I'm going to, I think my next project, I was, I was originally planning on doing kind of like a spin-off series also set in like Bubbles in Space and Hollow City case files are set in, in Hollow City. Um, and I was going to do another spin-off series with different characters um, in a more traditional kind of like techno thriller style um, to maybe open up the world to a, a broader audience because um, cyberpunk is a little bit niche still. Um, and so that's, that's, probably what I'm going to do but I, I I always have more ideas when I have time so <laughs> that's a tough question but yeah that's that's probably what I'm going to do I'm going to be sticking with cyberpunk with the SC Jensen name for uh for a while and I have another um pen name doing some fantasy stuff that uh is kind mm. of like a when I need a break from the from the gritty then that's kind of where I go but um that's not really out there in the world yet it's just kind of a side project so we'll see how it goes um so you mentioned undercity we haven't really talked a little bit about that just tell us a little bit about what that series is so it it was originally published as the timekeepers war and it was picked up by uh by a traditional publisher um in in florida and they so they published the first one and like he signed me for the full trilogy and published the first one and then i got pregnant with twins and it was like seven years <laughs> the second book and then so they were ready to publish it last year and then the 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 editor-in-chief and the guy who owns the publishing company actually died in february like one month before oh the book was supposed to come out and they folded the company and the rights reverted to me and then uh all of a sudden i was like well like now the now the books aren't they're not published anymore and uh, i was like well like now is the chance to kind of rebrand and do things the way that I would have, you know, when it first came out 12 or 14 years ago, however long it was, um, I knew nothing about publishing. I didn't know about marketing and I've learned a lot since then. So it, it was, um, it was a bit of a shock, but it was also a really good opportunity for me to kind of like take everything that I've learned, um, since publishing bubbles in space and kind of apply it to my original series. And so I rebranded it as, um, Undercity, and then I've got Rebellion and Resistance just came out this month, which is book two, and then uh, Revolution is the uh, is the third book in the series, and that'll be out in a couple of months. I just have to 
I have to finalize the end of it, but it's, um, I'm such a bad genre mashup kind of person. Like if you want to sell books, it's really, it's a really good idea to like pick a specific genre and like stay there. But of course I don't, I don't do that. I, (laughs) I'm like, I like post-apocalyptic stuff and I like fantasy stuff and I like dystopian (laughs) stuff and I'm going to mash it all together. And so that, that book is actually, we were speaking of uh, Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere and Margaret Atwood's Oryx and Crake. When I started that series, I had just finished reading those two books. And it's like this weird blend of everything that I loved about those books. So it's this weird, like, um, like underground city um, of people that are like, that have survived this big, they, they live in this city that's basically like been destroyed by civil war and, you know, natural disasters and they have to live underground because the environment on the, on the surface is very hostile. And, um, but it's also got this kind of like quirky weirdness, almost like a comic booky kind of feel like an over the top kind of characters. And, um, and, uh, and a little bit of like more fantastical science fiction with like, um, you know, genetic mutations and, um, and like, yeah, like mutants and monsters and and evil mad scientists and that kind of thing. So it's uh it's a I don't you know trying to market it is kind of a nightmare because I'm like I don't know it's just a bunch of weird stuff that I really liked and <laughs> and and I still love it and it's my first series and and um, those are like the very first characters that I brought to life and it will always be very close to my heart and I never know how to tell people about it but it's very fun and it's very weird and if you like weird stuff that's not like anything else you'll probably enjoy it but if you are like really like specific like about about genres being you know in their own genres then it's kind of it's it's a bit of a challenging sell so so are all of your books um self-published now then yes now they are yeah okay how do you because we've obviously we've had quite a few different authors on here um um we've had a, a nice kind of mixture of self-published and traditional published. Um, like we've had C.T. Ortega, who um, is very much self-published. How do you find, because um, you've had that experience of of the best of both worlds as such, you've had the traditional published. How do you find self-publishing? Is it is it quite a kind of a tough process? Is it is it quite a, a stressful process? You know, it is, the thing about self-publishing is that it's only like, only like 25% of your time is actually spent writing. Um, and then there's so much other stuff that goes into it. And it is a very steep learning curve. Um, so you you do have to, like, there's a lot to learn about, like, running advertisements and, and promotions and networking and newsletters. And But really, with the way that traditional publishing works now, unless you're, like, a really big name, like, they've chosen you as, like, one of the ones that they're really going to push hard realistically today you have to do all that stuff anyways even as a traditionally published author maybe not the paid ads because it's hard to get um a good return on investment when you're yeah. when your royalties are split but um but yeah like i think it's not it's not for everyone but i like i have really grown to love the whole process um like i love working with my cover like choosing a cover designer and working with a designer on like the vision i really like the branding aspect of it um that's something that i had to like that was very new to me concepts but a lot of the marketing and branding and stuff i really like i really enjoyed um but yeah i mean the big thing is you don't spend nearly as much time 
writing as as doing all the other stuff, <laughs> which is which is tough. But I mean, it is what it is. And um, if you're really like, I think the biggest thing is that you just have to keep kind of going forward. And sometimes books don't do as well as you want them to. And you just got to keep going because eventually every book becomes a backlist book and you've always got a new thing on the go and you always just have to be focusing forward. And, uh, and I think that's hard. If you just want to write one book and you've got like this big vision and, and uh, you want to get your one book out into the world, um, then, um, then maybe traditionally published uh, is, is a better avenue. I mean, you can self-publish a single book, but it's a lot harder to um, build a career off, off one book or one series. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to kind of dedicate yourself to doing as many books as you can forevermore yeah. <laughs> and really want to be a part of that, that process. So, so if you, um, we're going to kind of wrap up. We do have a, um, I didn't tell you this before, but we end every episode with a, with like a little, uh, speed round. It's like a, an either or 10 question. Um, okay. now that I, I look at what we put on our, on our options, I should have just sent it to you and said, Hey, can you create oh. our game for us today? <laughs> But we'll get to the game in a second. Um, so, okay. but my my last like question would be because um, you've done a lot now on your own. You've written your books, you've published your books, you've you know gone through the editing and all that. Um, and you know, and it's it you, like you said, it's kind of not for everybody that's self publishing. Um, but just writing in general, what advice would you give to an aspiring author, someone who just doesn't really has all these ideas in their head but doesn't know what to do? Um, I think just start like the, you don't have to be good to, to start writing. Like, I mean, you get good by, by writing and revising and, um, like a lot of what I write is still crap. Like that's just how it is. (laughs) You just like, you have, and you just got to let go. Like you have to, you have to get your ideas down on the page, um, before you can kind of work with them. In my experience, I know there are people who kind of work internally and, and then they're slow writers and everything, you know, comes out and it's a little bit neater. And, but for me, what I have found made the biggest difference in like my productivity is just, you have to sit down and write whether you feel like it or not. It's a job. I have our, like, I have a word count that I have to get done every day. I write 3000 words a day and, uh, and that's not an option. It's like going to work for me. Um, and I work from home and I write full time. So, so it is a job for me. Um, but like whatever stage you're in, like maybe it's just a goal to write 250 words a day or 500 words a day. Um, if you wrote 500 words a day, you would have a novel a year. Um, and that's something that people like, it's not a huge amount of, of writing and some people can do a 500 words very quickly. Um, but by the end of the year, you would have something that you could at least get edited and have some feedback on. And um, but yeah, like I think just um, consistency is more important than perfection. Like just sit down and write a little bit, and and get and you just you get better at it. The more often that you do it, it's like anything. The more often you do it, the better you get at it. And you can't improve if you're not writing. So. Uh, I think you just got to jump in. If you feel like you've got an idea, you just have to have to start and worry about making it better afterwards. Just you have to have something down before you can improve on it. Wow. That's my goal. One one of my bucket list goals is to eventually publish something. So uh, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. 
actually, my current nine to five job doesn't allow me a lot of time because it's really more yeah. of like a, a seven to 10 job. So <laughs> I'm, well, I'm always yeah, there. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Sarah, um, we're going to move into our either or speed round game. Uh, so really, okay. it, it is just that. So there's 10 either ors. So no explanation, no like... No wait, no reason to defend it. So I'll to, say the two options. You'll go first, and then Liz, and then I'll go, and then we'll go to the next one. Okay. Okay. All right. So this is our sci-fi edition, and um, like I said, don't judge us for our options that we put down. <laughs> we did our best. Okay. Number one: Would you prefer a different planet or a spaceship? Different planet. Yeah, different planet. I would agree with a different planet. Number two, would you rather be abandoned alone in space or abandoned with aliens in space? Well, God, it depends on the aliens. <laughs> um, but I'm going to go with aliens. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally against aliens. The whole Project Hail Mary. <laughs> yep, that's exactly, yep. I would say aliens as long as it's like a rocky alien. Exactly. All right. I want all Rocky. <laughs> I know, me too. Um, number three, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Star Wars. I'm going Star Wars as well. All right, number four, <laughs> time travel to the future or time travel to the past? Future. Oh, I'd pretty choose past. I'm going future. All right. Would you prefer go, traveling through a wormhole or traveling through cryogenic sleep for the long trip? Cryogenic sleep. Hmm. Oh, I think I choose wormholes. I think I choose wormhole too. All right. Uh, number six is normal people in a sci-fi setting or robots and altered advanced people. Normal people in a sci-fi setting. I'm going to give robots and altered advanced people. <laughs> I'm, I'm going normal people in a sci-fi world. Um, number seven, aliens invade Earth or Earth invades aliens? Aliens invade Earth. Earth invade, invades alien planet. I'm going aliens invade Earth. Um, number eight, a setting where an advanced space world already exists or one where that advanced world is being created? Being created, for sure. Yeah, being created. Uh, being created for me, too. Uh, number nine, uh, human spacecraft or alien UFO? Alien UFO. Alien UFO. Alien UFO. <laughs> and our last one is space-based or alternative universe? Oh, space <laughs> I think. Okay. I have to go alternative universe. Um, hmm. I'm going to go space-based. <laughs> Can I All just right. say that one of our original um, either-ors that Holly created, which is hilarious. Oh, my God. This, this really got me. It was AI or what was it? Super smart computer people. Yeah, I didn't want to say computer geeks. Like, would you rather have AI, so like a computer, or really, really, really smart computer people? 
Yeah. Well, so the whole with cyberpunk, that transhumanism where we're using technology to like further the human evolution, that's a very important like thematic question with cyberpunk books that that a lot of new authors are kind of exploring. So uh, that that balance between like true artificial intelligence and like augmented human intelligence Mm. is something that is really, really interesting to explore. That's actually like it's that's probably one of the core thematic questions that that a lot of modern cyberpunk authors are exploring right now. So it's actually a very good either or question, I think. (laughs) If you put augmented people, it might, might have been better. Oh, oh, yes. oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I need to do some. I just love, I love the wedding. I love the wedding. <laughs> okay, so I'm not going to get a Pulitzer Prize award for like either or questions either. Add that to the list with math. <laughs> just ain't happening. We'll, we'll find you a section. Don't worry, we'll find you a section. Okay. <laughs> All right, Sarah. So I'm sure that you're on social media and in the in the technology world out there. So can you just tell people where they can find you? Yep. Uh, so on Instagram and Facebook, it's um, SC Jensen. Or sorry, yeah, SC Jensen dot author. And then on Twitter, it's SC Jensen underscore author. Uh, or SC Jensen dot com is my website. Um, I try to keep it as simple as I can. Um, I'm usually on Facebook. I haven't updated my Instagram in a while. I'm kind of bad about I get overwhelmed by social media and I kind of like will focus on one for a little while and then I do another and which is exactly what they say you're not supposed to do. But uh, that's how I am. So but right now lately I've been on uh, on Facebook more often. But if uh, if somebody sends me a message, I, I always check my notifications and, and that. So you can find me anywhere. And can we access and purchase books through Amazon? Is there the where's what's the best way yes, to right now? Amazon is the best way to find my books, unless you want paperbacks. In which case, uh, they are distributed through Ingram Micro. So, or um, what are they called? Ingram Spark. <laughs> and um, the most like most online retailers carry them but i am taking at the end of this year bubbles in space and hollow city case files i'm going to be taking wide so the ebooks will be available everywhere um instead of amazon exclusive and i i hope to be cycling kind of all of my series through um like they'll start in kindle unlimited and then go out to a wider audience after the fact so um but yeah for now it's just amazon for ebooks and audiobooks are everywhere Yay. I only have a couple of them out. I only have two out, but they are slowly, <laughs> slowly coming out. <laughs> but are you narrating your audios? No, I'm not. I hired um, uh, Audiobook Empire produces my audiobooks, and they are uh, narrated by a lady named um, Jennifer blom i believe is how it's pronounced um and she does a fantastic job with like quirky voices for hammett and uh and all the characters get their own little she she does such a great job so if you like audiobooks you should check them out awesome (laughs) um well sarah thank you so much for joining us um it was a pleasure to get to know you um and you know after i read bubbles in space and i'll admit going into it i'm like bubbles in space what am what what is this? Why? <laughs> so weird. Like, that's just normal. Like, yeah. right? like, I understand 
this. I'm like, no, let's make it as weird as possible and hope that people are just curious. Yeah, and, and I was. I was super curious, yeah. and I I loved it, and I am I'm definitely not. going Thank to you. continue the series because um, I kind of, you know, Dickie and Hammett and Bubbles and yeah. just the crazy cast of characters and yeah. um so and I have to and I have to admit after like hearing more about it it's definitely something that I'll, I'll be checking out I haven't read it yet but it, it's definitely something that I want to want to have a read of because it sounds really I hope you have fun with it it's really like yeah it is it's very bizarre but it's it's a lot of fun if you like the, the hollow city case files for people who are more into like a standard like detective story that's maybe a better way to start um and then Bubbles in Space kind of starts off as if it's going to be a detective story, and then it spins out into more of a like, thriller adventure style. So it loses that like detective novel structure, which um, if you really like detective novels, then it uh, doesn't work. But if you like more off-the-wall kind of weird adventures, then, then it does. So. <laughs> Brilliant. So, Ollie, remind us, where can we find you on social well, I am on um, AZ Desert Bookworm, um, right? That's where I am. I, yes. Cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm still in space with bubbles. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I'm on Instagram at AZ Desert uh, Bookworm, and then I am on my website is tinyurl.com slash desert bookshelf. Liz, what about you? Yep, so on Instagram, I am Lizzie's Little Book Nook, and that's Lizzie's with an IE. Um, and my website is lizzie'slittlebooknook.co.uk. Awesome. And mm-hmm. so just so everyone knows, when we come back for our June episode, it is our one-year anniversary show next Yay. month. Oh! How long has it been a year? It's gone so fast. Uh, yeah, and you would think that we would have a better idea of what we were doing by now, but we really don't. <laughs> not go over time or go up and down Yeah. That's so, amazing. No, this is be... You never know what you're going to get. That's right. Exactly. See, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> exactly. It's all in the surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be a really good episode. Don't miss it. Um, we will be revealing more during, like, during the month. Um, but we'll be looking back, kind of, at previous shows and kind of a nice little reminiscence um, of the the shows we've done so far. So yeah, that congratulations on one year. That's very exciting. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Very excited. Um, and the date will be confirmed like closer to the time. Yep. So yeah, that is it from us for this for this month. So um, all there's left to say is thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you for having me. Yes. Thank you so much, Sarah. Forward to checking out your books. Yep. So. Um, yeah, Holly, any last words? No, just I, we hope that you continue to read a lot of good books. Check out Bubbles in Space, and we'll see you again in June for our one-year anniversary show. Thanks, everyone. Happy reading. Bye. Bye.